I did want to delve into why I think there's a banking crisis unfolding and there's some interesting things going on. Greetings, land of Arcadia Economics. My name's Dave Kranzler, and this is yet another bi-weekly episode of the podcast I do for Arcadia Economics. And uh, just thought I'd change up my background a little bit. Some of the stuff I'm going to talk about today might be kind of heavy. I'm going to try and make it quick, though. But before I get started and let you know that this episode is sponsored by Silver Viper. And Silver Viper, as everyone probably knows, is developing their La Virginia mine down in Sonora, Mexico. Doesn't look quite that nice, but it's a nice place. And um, you can find their stock under the ticker VIPRF in the U.S. and VIPR.V on the Toronto Venture Exchange. And I don't know if we ever get a big rally in the precious metals sector, and I think we will at some point. I think that's a stock that'll have a lot of upside, part, partially because it's it's got what I think is going to eventually be a good asset, could you know eventually be converted into a mine, whether it's by Silver Viper or a company that acquires them, or and also because it's a six cent stock, and that's the type of stock speculators love when the precious metal sector is bubbling up, and I think we will get get to that at some point. Um, I did want to delve into why I think there's a banking crisis unfolding and there's some interesting things going on and it you know there's a few signs that we've seen obviously the the regional bank crisis that we had back in the in the spring when we had I believe it was the three largest bank collapses in the history of the country. I, I can't remember if, if one of the bank collapses back in 2008 was larger. Um, everyone knows about the commercial real estate disaster that's unfolding, but it's not just commercial real estate and it's, it's debt of all flavors, corporate, consumer, household, et cetera, and also the derivatives that um, get wrapped around those things. And that that's what's going to really turbocharge the collapse, just like it did in 2008, just like where I think we were headed in late to that 2019, early to 2020, which brings me to the next graphic I wanted to share. I want to do a quick review of the Fed balance sheet. Everyone's familiar with this. I just wanted to make a couple notes because it kind of supports what my thesis or theory is. Um, this is the Fed balance sheet. It goes back to late 2018. You know, you can see they were making some, you know, a modest effort at trying to reduce it from the QA, QE that started in 2008. Then all of a sudden in September, as everyone is, is hopefully aware, probably aware, all of a sudden the Fed started doing these repo, overnight repos. And they said, oh, it's just, you know, Temporary overnight repo program, you know, it'll be short and sweet. Well, it wasn't short and sweet. It got longer and bigger. And <clears throat> you can see here it expands rapidly into the end of 2019. And then all of a sudden it really started to shoot up. And this is this is before the lockdowns and the, and the full brunt of the COVID crisis, COVID crisis, or I guess it's crisis, um, 
hit the system or was imposed on the system. And at that point, the Fed injected a massive amount of, of liquidity into the banking system. It was $3 billion in 14 weeks. And, and it, it, at that point, it nearly doubled the Fed's balance sheet. And I would argue that the onset of a banking crisis, this was our, our hint of it. No one had ever heard of COVID back here. This, this is what the hints were. And this is the amount of money that the Fed needed to actually put into this banking system in order to prevent it from collapsing. And it did it under the guise of COVID. Um, they continue expanding the, the balance sheet. It got up to 8.9 trillion and change. It, um, it was a 240% increase between September, 2019 and March, 2022, blah, blah, blah. Everyone knows that story. Then they, then they, and I think mainly because they were starting to become horrified by the real inflation that they had created, not, not the CPI nonsense. Um, so they started slowly decreasing or shrinking the size. I wouldn't even call this shrinking, you know, a, a, a modest decline in the Fed's balance sheet. And they started also hiking interest rates from zero. Everyone talks about how quickly Oh, they took rates up from zero to five percent so quickly, and that shocked the system. Yeah, well, look how quickly they 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 nearly tripled the Fed's the, the balance sheet. <laughs> so um, it works both ways, and this is what caused the inflation that we're seeing. Um, so we get the the you know they they pull a little bit of liquidity out of the, the system, and boom! All of a sudden, we have a banking crisis pop up again. And what what's the Fed do? An immediate four hundred billion dollar bailout. Um, but that kind of brings me to my next point. Um, and, and that's, in addition to that 400 billion that they put in right away, they also set up what they called the bank term funding program. And that's, it, it really is QE in disguise. And just to kind of, you know, I don't think a lot of people really kind of studied this thing. I mean, you can go right on the Fed's balance sheet and they got, you know, there's a whole a whole section that that describes it, et cetera. Um, and I just want to go over a couple points because this is where I this is where I think you can see where the QE aspect of this comes in. And I think these are the important points. I mean, first of all, <laughs> we know why they established the bank term funding program, right? It, it was to bail out the large depositors of not just the regional banks, but also the, the mega banks, the too big to fail banks, because there's trillions in uninsured deposits and it mostly belongs to billionaires and super wealthy and corporations. And if the banks collapse, that will incinerate those deposits. Um, you know, the average schmo is, is, is insured up to 250K or whatever. I don't know if they, they, they increased it during the great financial crisis. And I, I don't know if they brought it back down. Let's just say it's 250K, it's not important. So here's what they say. The, the bank term funding program is to support American businesses and households. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. But then it goes on to say, it's to assure that banks have the ability <clears throat> to meet the needs of all their depositors. Well, that, that's the, the billionaires and the corporations who have uninsured deposits. The program will be an additional source of liquidity against high quality securities, eliminating an institution's need to sell those securities quickly. Well, if they're high quality securities, 
why would they need to sell them quickly? Well, they haven't. They, 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 for gap accounting manipulation purposes, they're allowed to load them into what's called a hold to maturity account. And that, that way, when interest rates pop up and the value of these security treasuries and, um, you know, AAA rated mortgage backed facilities, et cetera, agency, agency bonds, um, when interest rates go up, the value of these securities go down. And if they didn't, if the accounting wasn't rigged to allow the banks to to report fake gap profits, then they would have to, you know, they'd have to sell these securities to cover deposit outflows at a big loss. All right. That's your crisis right there. It's part of it anyway. Not it's not the whole thing. The other another interesting thing about this, and this is where I think the QE aspect of it comes in. So the way this thing works is, as, as you're probably aware, banks that need liquidity go and, and tap this facility and they pledge their hold to maturity securities that are trading at 75, 80 cents on the dollar, but the Fed lends them 100 cents on the dollar against that security. So if the bank goes tits up and the Fed gets stuck with that collateral and for some reason the Fed has to sell it, it's going to take an immediate loss. So all they're doing is they're transferring the, the potential loss in those securities from the banks to the Fed. Well, that's what QE does. That's what it did. That's the purpose of it, to prevent the banks from collapsing from their terrible business decisions. So it's QE by, you know, they want to call it the bank term funding program, whatever. I don't give a crap. The other interesting aspect about this well, first of all, it, it's a it's supposed to have a term of one year. And um, is there a limit on the total amount of program extensions of credit that an individual depository can can obtain? Well, no, I don't even need to see the rest of this. You just said it. No. Uh, if a bank borrows money from you, this is this is because overnight repos are overnight. And back in September 2019, through the end of the year that 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 year, they, they kept extending the 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 you know the holding period the the repo maturity you know so and most of us saw through through that well now now what they're doing this is basically the same thing no and this this facility keeps growing it keeps getting larger and larger um you know and that's another sign that tells you that the banks that are using this facility are in trouble and if this facility wasn't there they they would be you know they'd go bankrupt they they'd collapse so if they can't, you know, if a bank borrows money now with this facility and they can't pay it back in, in six months, why does the Fed think they're going to be able to pay it back, you know, when this thing matures in March? So what I think is what will happen is there's one more aspect that kind of piqued my interest on this. And so when, when you take out a credit card, when you take out debt on your credit card, and you don't pay the whole thing off at the end of the month, okay, the interest that accrues is added to your balance. And then the next month, you pay interest, not, not just on the previous balance, but on the interest that was added to that previous balance, right? So, so it, it compounds. Well, guess what? Merry Christmas, banks from the Fed. Accrued interest on an advance made under the program will be charged on the day the loan matures, or if the borrower prepays some or all of a loan the day the borrower makes this payment. Now, what I didn't show in here was the language that 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 discusses that this interest does not compound. 
So the amount of interest that the bank owes the Fed for this for this loan, just you know, set it aside in a different account and don't add it to your to the principal balance of the loan. So they're not paying interest on that interest. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others, according to as as Orwell said. So now I want to know now let, let's let's see what's going on here with the term funding facility because why if everything's stabilized, why are the banks still drawing on it? Because it, it hits a new high almost every week. So this shows the bank term funding um, facility, the amount outstanding for all the banks. Um, and this this line is the and remember, I just to circle back, the original rationale or what we were told was that this facility was in place in case some of these banks get a run on their deposits because people want to shift them into money market funds and, and get more than the paltry 1% these banks are offering. Um, and they need to sell these hold to maturity securities. And instead of selling these hold to maturity securities, they can draw on this facility. Well, that that's the story we were told. Well, how come, as you can see, the run on the deposits is over. Here's your run on the deposits. It, it's over. You know, in fact, there's an up, there's there's a, a gentle uptrend in the amount of deposits sitting in all commercial banks. So why is this facility still going higher? Well, let's break it out and look at large banks versus small banks. Okay, here's here's your deposits for the small banks. Why is this happening? Because immediately the small banks said, "Oh, you know, we're going to have to raise the, the the interest rate we're we're uh, we're paying on on demand deposits." you know, so that it's more equal with with uh, money market funds, you know, the interest rate on that or, or three-month T-bills, and that's what they did. And that's why their deposits are going up. And yet the bank term facilities keep going higher. All right, well, here's who I think is, is really taking a little bit more advantage of it than the regional banks. This is the, this is the deposits at large banks. And I think the way this is defined is like the top 100, whatever, okay? So their deposit, they, they were still having deposit outflows until October because they didn't raise the interest rate that they're paying on demand deposits, you know, checking and savings accounts. Um, and I think there's also people who had cash in uninsured deposits, you know, an amount that was uninsured and was pulling that out. So that, and so I'm, you can't prove it because I can't prove it for sure because the Fed doesn't disclose who the institutions are. We just get to see this stuff that they allow us to see. I'm guessing at some point, all this type of information is gonna be hidden just like M3 was. But at any rate, so you still have this, the, the bank term funding facility hitting a new high almost every week. And you can look at this, see over the last couple of weeks, deposits at, at uh, the large bank spiked up. Well, you got a little inflection point higher here in the bank term funding facility. So, I guess my point here is, is there's something a lot more profound going on behind the scenes in the banking system than, you know, oh, no, we might lose deposits and have to sell treasuries to cover it at a loss. So and and th this is probably one of the biggest reasons why I think there's a a banking crisis that's uh, developing. See, wouldn't you rather be here in this this place in my background? I know I would than to have to think about this because there's some really bad stuff coming. Um, one more um, chart I wanted to share with with the uh, bank term funding facility, and, and this just 
this shows it's just a bar chart of uh you know the amount outstanding this is this was where the crisis period was um supposedly crisis solved here but yet it keeps going higher and then here here's that spike up again this is just last week so something happened that caused the amount that was withdrawn by a bank or multiple banks we don't know um that caused this thing to jump up at a at a higher rate than it has really since it looks like june just eyeballing it so there's there's clearly something going on um a b this this btfp thing it, it it's not what they say it is because when it matures in march if it keeps going up now and supposedly the banking system is stable, I mean, Powell was just on TV when they, you know, for his post FOMC presser telling us everything was fine. The banks are stable. They're resilient. We've got a strong economy. So why are they still borrowing money at a facility that and it's also expensive for them to borrow from this facility? So, you know, there, there, there's something going on that the banks need liquidity. And I think, you know, just like, it happened in at the end of 2019 and early 2020. I think it's going to intensify, and there's going to be a need for for the bank to create for for the Fed to create some sort of crisis, so that a they can convert this bank term funding program into the permanent QE, and but not only that, um, have a reason to inject a lot more QE into the banking system uh and you know I, I don't have a chart of it but if you look at if you look at the bank stocks especially the big bank well the regional banks have gotten creamed over the last nine months as have the the money center banks the two big to fail banks all, all of them I, I think last time i might have showed the charts of those of those banks they've just been they're way underperforming the stock market um, most of them are down between 25 and 30 percent on a year-to-date basis. So how do I connect this with the precious metal sector? And uh, I'm sure everyone out there is getting sick of dickheads like me coming on here and saying, listen, we're going to have an eventual rally. Here's why, blah, blah, blah. Um, we're going to have a bull move. It's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a moonshot, you know, it, it, I mean, I have to believe that because I've been in this in the precious metal sector for 21 years, and I truly, honestly believe in it. Um, and actually, and I again, I, I don't have the charts, but you can pull them up yourself. If you look at a five-year chart of gold, gold's actually it, it may feel like it's getting like it's getting smashed, and it is it has been getting attacked mostly on the COMEX, and those attacks have have intensified over the last couple months. And it, that, that's exactly what happened in the summer of 2008. I lived through it. It was really painful. It was just as painful as it is right now. Um, and, and we were all scratching our heads because it's like, you know, the fundamentals are pointing to a systemic collapse. Um, you know, people should be buying gold. And yet it, gold was just kept getting hammered. And especially when the COMEX opens. I mean, this is a almost daily occurrence at 8.20 a.m. when the COMEX floor trading commences. Boom. The price of gold gets smashed. There's a reason why they're doing that, and there's your Comex open. You can you can set your clock by this by this bar that happens almost every day on the Comex. 
Um, there's a reason why they're doing it, because if the price of gold was allowed to trade freely, and it, it somewhat trades freely during the Eastern Hemisphere hours, and you can see that on the overnight charts. I mean, even here, I mean, well, I didn't take it back to, to midnight, but the price of gold generally rises in Eastern Hemisphere hours. Everyone's seen that chart. If you, if you, bought, if you bought in the evening when the, the computer trading in Australia and, and India and Asia reopen, and then you sell when they close down, you know, 3 a.m. Eastern time, uh, you'd have positive returns on gold. And then you'd have to do it with the futures. You're not going to do it with your physical. Um, and then if you, you know, and then you just let the the, the children in the place, in the COMEX place and do what they're going to do and, and and repeat the process. And But the returns during COMEX hours over the last many years is negative. Um, the return during non-COMEX hours is positive. So, uh, you know, these these yahoos who say that the gold market is not manipulated either have a, a motivated reason for taking that stance or they're they're just making that assertion out of ignorance because they haven't looked at the facts. Um, but I digress. Um, my point here is, is that, yeah, I'm going to be a, a dickhead again and say, look, eventually we're going to get a big move higher in this sector. I don't know when. I don't know what'll trigger it. I think it's getting, I think it's getting closer. Um, it, it's certainly taking longer than it did when the sector got demolished between March of 2008 and the end of October 2008, and then we went on a nice three-year bull market. The other interesting thing is that it's it's as I mentioned earlier. I mean, gold for the last two and a half, three years has basically gone sideways in a, in a sideways trading channel, albeit volatile. Um, but it, it's, I mean, it's, it's over 1900 still. It's the mining stocks. And believe me, my mining stock portfolio, my personal one, and the one in the small fund that I manage, I mean, it's been just decimated and it's painful. But if you, this, this is not the time to sell unless you really, really need the money. Because honestly, a lot of these stocks can't go a lot lower. And like I said, at some point, there's going to be some trigger event that causes these the, the sector just to explode higher. And I don't I don't know when. You know, I, the technical chart guys don't know when. They may they may try and convince you that they do, but they don't. No one knows. I just know that in the 21 years that I've been in the sector, really 22 now, that there's been probably three or four periods that have felt like the current period. And the, the previous three or four times, the sector has always pulled out of it. And, you know, if I had traded it smartly those four times, I'd, I'd obviously be sitting on a bigger pile of cash than I have now. Um, but I'm in this for the long haul. And so the point here I'm trying to make is something's going on in the banking system. It's not going to be pleasant. We're all going to wish we were in this place that's in the background here rather than in the United States, um, because I think the unpleasantness that's coming is going to make it unpleasant to look out your window even, you know, or to travel around and do your regular routes of business and commerce, et cetera. Um, I hope I'm wrong. But, um, you know, as I like to say, you know, all of this stuff is beyond, is beyond our control. All we can do is try and understand what's happening and how to take advantage of it for ourselves. And so, 
you know, just try to enjoy what you can while you can for as long as you can. And if you get a chance to go to a place like this in the background, by all means, do it. Take your family, take your wife, take your girlfriend, whatever, go alone. <laughs> so at any rate, I'll wrap this up and um, I'll see everyone in two weeks.